Blog Talk Radio. Check us out on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at the Ken Reedy Show. If you're into that tweeting thing, get on board the Twitter at the Ken Reedy Show. And of course, you can go to our website. That is thekenreedyshow.com. I hope you're ready for a very exciting, thrilling, spectacular episode of the Ken Reedy Show. So many things to talk about a little later on. Right after the news, we're looking to get Mario Mancini. Mario Mancini. New England's Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame inductee this year, just got inducted into the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, is going to be joining us a little later on, and you really want to be on board for this, because the last time we had Mr. Mancini on the show, he teased us, gave us a little tease, told us that he's got some serious heat with one Pat Patterson. That's how he went in interviews, so we've been living in suspense ever since. We're going to get the lowdown on the situation between Mancini and Patterson a little later on. But we got a lot of things to get to first. Got to sort through all this stuff going on in the world of pro wrestling. Couldn't do without my tag team partner, who is on the line. Dave, how are you doing this evening? Tag me in. We got a lot to discuss. You know, I just love, you know, I love doing this show, and I love being a pro wrestling fan. I love being into all this. And it's, it's amazing, you know, every time I do the show... I have, like, the, the studio from Blog Talk Radio up on my screen, and I have the Facebook. You know, I have a bunch of screens opened at the same time, and I always keep the network on uh, because the raw pregame comes on on the network. So just in case some news or interesting items come up, I have that playing in the corner of my computer screen. And how do you not love this network? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of distracted, so just, just yell at me if, if, 
If you think I'm not paying attention, because right now, 1997, Bash of the Beach, Piper versus Flair. I mean, you know, it just I, I can't get enough of this network. It's, it's amazing the stuff that uh, you can see, just just history right there, and it, it's just so cool watching Piper and Flair. So, a little bit distracted there, but let's get right to it, Dave, because you know, and you're a news guy. Some significant news breaking as of this morning. Lots of different reports, kind of knocked the wrestling world on its ear. And it's concerning TNA, and, and, you know, a lot, we haven't talked a lot about TNA on, on this program, and part of it is because the product has been inconsistent at best. Um, a lot of things not working for TNA, lots of people leaving TNA over the past few months, uh, looks like people are jumping off the sinking ship, so to speak. Um, you don't know what exactly is going on. Take everything you get as far as the news goes with a grain of salt as you tool around the internet, but some significant news, it seems to be reported this morning, Dave, about TNA. Yeah, um, well, TMZ.com, who is not the most reliable source with any kind of news whatsoever, although they've been pretty spot on with some stories in regards to professional wrestling, uh, reported that Impact Wrestling, TNA, their contract will not be renewed with Spike TV. Uh, I reported last week on the, uh, the the Day Five News report that TNA officials were looking to just to uh, to make an announcement at the next set of New York City television tapings in regard to their future um, with television. And from what I'm hearing this morning is that the contract looks like it's not going to be renewed. Um, Dixie Carter went on Twitter earlier today. Bob Ryder, who also uh, had a you know, talent relations for TNA. They both made public statements. Negotiations are ongoing. Viacom, the parent company for Spike TV, made a, made a statement saying, we do not discuss ongoing negotiations. So it leads many to believe that there's still some negotiations there. Um, it could mean that maybe Viacom and Spike TV are meeting with TNA to discuss rights fees to get to TNA that they want to work on a new deal, but not for the current numbers that their past deal, um, you know, had. So there's a lot of different stories going around. Another story that came out earlier today was uh, Spike TV had let Dixie Carter know in Nashville last week uh, at the TNA uh, offices that they would not be renewing the deal. And one of the reasons being, and this is just rumors, that they had caught wind that Vince Russo was working for TNA again. And apparently there's some heat between Spike TV network officials and Vince Russo dating back all the way to 2009, 2010, uh, with some content that Russo had written for the, you know, TNA television and just some disagreements. Russo's always been one of those guys that likes to, to uh, push the envelope when it comes to uh, his storylines and wrestling. Um, but that's just pure speculation at this point. Another story that's been speculated um, regarding this possible, uh, you know, abandoned ship with, with TNA Impact is uh, cr- current creative writer Dave Lagana, who was famous for his writing in WWE, uh, apparently has reached out to his former home in Ring of Honor about possibly getting a producer role with the company, looking to possibly run their social media and their Internet department and help them grow as a brand because he feels that TNA might not be a, a running operation in the very near future. 
TNA did announce, you know, Bound for Glory pay-per-view in October in Japan uh, in conjunction with the Wrestle 1 promotion. But August 5th set of uh, television tapings, they don't have anything scheduled on the books as far as taping TV. Um, so, and leading into your quote-unquote biggest pay-per-view, their version of WrestleMania, that's pretty alarming. Um, nothing's really changed as far as this morning goes. Negotiations are ongoing, apparently, but it leaves a lot of wrestlers um, in fear of, you know, having jobs because if they don't have TV, they can't tour. If they don't have a television deal, it's, you know, they don't make money. So it's a very crucial time and a very, um, you know, a lot of people are probably walking on eggshells and, and trying to, you know, set some plans up, maybe a backup plan. There's been stories that some of these individuals in TNA talent have gone to Jeff Jarrett about possible work for his upstart global uh, Global force wrestling promotion, but he doesn't even have a date or television deal lined up yet. So a lot of wrestlers, a lot of wrestlers on the market if in the event that TNA does not secure television deal by, I believe the end of September, early October is what they're stating. Um, But it could all mean that, you know, Maybe Spike has, has said to them, okay, we want to keep you, but not for the price that we're paying you. And you also got to remember, it's been publicly reported that Spike TV helped fund a lot of things, you know, for TNA. They helped put money up for Kurt Angle and Sting signing, Hulk Hogan signing, um, production costs to run, you know, Impact Wrestling out of the Impact Zone in Orlando and other areas. When they took them on, when they took TNA on the road on a more regular basis, Spike helped fund to that. So maybe Spike TV officials feel that they put a lot of money into this and they're not getting their investment in return. And the ironic thing is with TNA is that currently in the top two, maybe three of the highest rated programs on the Spike TV network, and if it is indeed true that Spike doesn't want to keep them and renew their deal at the end of September, then it looks like Spike might be rebranding their, their network itself and not going with professional wrestling. Yeah, there's so many, I mean, when you think about it, there's so many moving parts to what could be going on here. Now, it could be that um, TMZ jumped the gun and, and TNA is, is still negotiating and might be on Spike. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to, to speculate, and it definitely, uh, it, it's, it's alarming for TNA, well, even if it's, if it's not 100% true, if it's a possibility uh, losing their TV um, that is definitely a big deal for TNA. Um, I, I agree with you, Dave. I think if, if I think it's safe to speculate, knowing that the ratings that TNA could be getting for Spike, if TNA definitely is gone, if Spike is definitely not going to resign TNA, then you could speculate that the network is going to change directions, is going to rebrand, is going to do something different uh, going forward. Um, you know, as a wrestling fan, uh, you know, I have not been happy with uh, a lot of the creative directions that TNA has gone in in the last few months. Um, but like we've said many a times on this show, uh, we're wrestling fans. We want this, this company to succeed. We want many companies to succeed. We, wanna, we want competition. We want uh, choices out there in the marketplace. Uh, you know, we don't want uh, WWE to, quote, unquote, have a monopoly. Um, you know, that's kind of what we want to see in, in wrestling. So, you know, as much as we've been critical of a lot of what TNA has done, we still want to see this company succeed. 
I think what what the the biggest question for us right now, Dave, as wrestling fans, if if this in fact it, if if all the the signs are are are, are correct, and and Spike is going to go in another direction, and TNA is going to be off of Spike TV, then what? Uh, that's a question I think for all of us as far as you know, wrestling fans. Where do we go now? Where does TNA go if, in fact, they're they're done with Spike TV? Well, it, 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 it's it'd be a bad place for the wrestling business to lose a company because that means one less place for talent to work. Um, we I've not heard of any other networks being interested in wrestling negotiating. To, to, to secure a television deal with uh, TNA and Impact Wrestling. Um, so, I mean, maybe some of the other networks that were involved in um, the possible uh, picking up the WWE and their television deal, which eventually led them to staying with NBC, uh, Universal, Comcast. Uh, maybe some of those networks might jump in and want to test the waters with TNA for wrestling. Um, I mean, who knows? It, it, it would be, you know, TNA would be smart to learn from past mistakes um, from what WCW did. You know, WCW, before Vince McMahon bought them, because the original point, you know, before anybody gets into, and I know I just mentioned that, before anybody gets into the possibility of WWE buying TNA, um, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, I mean, stranger things have happened, but I, I don't think it's going to happen at this time. WCW was going to be purchased by Eric Bischoff, who was completely out of the company at the time. He was not on their payroll anymore. And he found a group of investors that were going to look into purchasing WCW. They had a deal on the table. Well, the problem was is that AOL Time Warner and Turner Broadcasting decided that they didn't want wrestling on their network anymore. And they pulled the plug on them and canceled the show completely with, while the contract was still going. And at that time, WCW wasn't worth much without a television deal. So TNA needs to, you know, and then that's when Vince McMahon swooped in and bought WCW. But TNA needs to find a, a, a home for their TV or, quite frankly, maybe they need to regroup. Maybe they need to find, maybe they need to look for a home and at the same time let their talent go out in the indie scene and let their talent get work, as much work as they possibly can, and let TNA rebrand themselves. I mean, I don't honestly don't know. It could be a big surprise. Maybe you know TNA is playing you know, all the wrestling fans for a fool, and they already have somebody in mind that they want to they want to work a, work a partnership with. And TNA might be on a new network. Who knows? But sad day in the wrestling world if a lot of wrestlers are on the open market to uh, you know with a, you know from TNA and TNA not existing anymore. Because like you said, we all want to see them succeed. The more places for guys to work, the better the business is. And uh, I think it's been an interesting time in wrestling in 2014 with the announcement of Jeff Jarrett's Global Force Wrestling. Ring of Honor's been on the rise. Yet TNA's taken a dip, and of course WWE has expanded their 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 growth with with this network launch. Albeit a lot of people see it as a failure right now. Um, wrestling has been prospering, at least in my opinion. And it would be sad to see TNA go if they can't secure a television deal within, you know, the next 60 days. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, where do they go? I mean, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of networks that have been thrown around. I mean, who wants, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, it, it's weird being a, a wrestling fan. And like you said, Dave, you know, wrestling is flourishing now. And, and, you know, the network and, you know, we love the network as much as the business types and whatever might be saying what they're saying about, you know, the network being successful or not successful. Um, but there's, there's always going to be uh, a stigma surrounding pro wrestling as much as like we're, we're talking here spike tv tna highest rated program on the network in danger of losing their tv deal um you know tv execs you know as much as it's a lucrative business it's a, it's a lucrative uh show pro wrestling is always going to have that that stigma attached to it and if, if you're going to bring in a tna and put it on your network. Uh, who's the network to, to bring it in? Who who would be the ones that that you would think uh, they would take a chance on on a pro wrestling program? Right? You know, it's. I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, do, do you have like an MTV? I mean, years ago they they took a chance on a what was that Wrestling Society X that was on for uh yeah it didn't, it didn't last very long. I mean, couple of weeks a month yeah i guess you know when you when you start a a, a company and and you're you're kind of resting the uh, company on the shoulders of x-pac and vampiro um <laughs> you know might not be the best business model um but you know they, they took a chance on a wrestling company before uh do they do it again um i don't know i mean it's you know spike tv is one of those networks it was uh you know, it was a network. Uh, it was supposed to be a network for guys. Uh, wrestling definitely kind of fit in with uh, what the network was was trying to be. Um, you know, as you, as you look at the landscape of, of cable television, um, you know, I do wonder uh, where would be the, the network uh, to, to pick it up. Do they go to like? Does an ESPN pick it up and, and put it on like maybe late night or something? No I don't way. know. But it, it's a uh, what'd you say? No way. ESPN has WWE sometimes on their website. It, it, that was no. Way. If ESPN wanted wrestling, they would want WWE. There, there's no way. And they've made, the, the funny thing about ESPN is that over the years they have knocked professional wrestling. They have knocked it openly on their on their on their programs. They interview wrestlers now. I mean, John Cena has been on. You know, uh, 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 what do they call that? The, the first take in the morning on ESPN. He's been on a bunch of those morning shows on ESPN numerous times. There's no way that ESPN would take wrestling unless it was WWE. So where where do they go? Where do you think? I mean, if you had to pick like a landing spot, I mean, what do you, what do you think's next for TNA if they need a new TV deal? Um, I thought about this today. I mean, they they tried branding themselves, co-branding themselves with. With uh, with MMA, the Bellator group, and you know Bellator's got a secure television deal with Spike TV, and they get good ratings and a, a lot of viewers. Um, you know UFC has partnered with Fox Sports One, and Fox Sports and even NBC Sports. Well, NBC Sports is under the NBC Universal brand, so that wouldn't make sense. But Fox Sports, uh, you know, would maybe be a, a viable option. They were on Fox Sports Net. Before they went to Spike TV, they used to air TNA used to air Friday afternoons at three o'clock on Fox Sports Net, which was a horrible time 
a horrible time slot, but they wanted to get on TV so bad that that was, the, that was their first crack at television. Um, so, I mean, maybe the Fox Sports group that does U- some of the UFC stuff and kind of co-brand with UFC maybe. I don't think UFC would be interested in that, but it would, it would, it would definitely help TNA and that crossover that, that they so desperately need um, to, to get people to watch their show. I was thinking maybe the country music channel. Um, but there's been rumors that Jeff Jarrett and Global Force Wrestling might be airing their show on that channel. I, I don't know. And the way, here's the other thing, too. The way that television, especially cable television, is these days, and I wouldn't say it's a dying breed, but I know a lot more people that don't have cable TV anymore that have those, the, the, the you know, Netflix or the, the Amazon. I mean, what if TNA went strictly to Netflix, like some of those Netflix-owned shows, like House of Cards that Kevin Spacey's in? That may, might be something that might work in their advantage, get a niche audience over on Netflix. It's, you know, it's not a bad idea. I mean, as that gets more and more prevalent, and again, like when we talk about the WWE and the network, uh, it would be something very progressive for TNA to kind of get out there and almost be ahead of the curve and, and do something like that. Um, as, as devices like Roku and, and smart TVs get more and more prevalent, I mean, you know, I, I, I do the, the Netflix streaming thing. It's, it's great, you know. Um, it, it's just a great product. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's not a bad idea. It's also, you know, if you have it where it, you know, it's on live on whatever time slot, uh, but then, it, then it's there, so you can go back and, and watch. So it's not like you're DVRing. Uh, impact you can just go there and watch it whenever you want uh that, that's an interesting take on it and as that you know and we talked about this way back when when the wwe network was was being discussed and coming into play tv's changing uh there's no two ways about it tv cable tv the way we watch tv um the way we watch entertainment uh is changing and it would not shock me at all as we move forward. Um, you know, orange is the new black. Uh, I know it's at least been nominated for one Emmy. I don't know if it's been nominated for more than one Emmy. Um, but these shows that are being released strictly on Netflix are, are being entered into major awards. Um, major awards. Sounds like I'm talking a Christmas story. Um, but, you know, so it, it's... <laughs> It, it, it's changing. TV is changing. And, you know, I, I do think that, you know, for years, most of us as customers have been the type that, you know, you kind of get suckered into uh, the, 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 the cable packages, you know, where, like, you have the one network you want to watch, so you have to get the package with 173 other channels to watch the one channel uh, you actually want. And... You know, I think most consumers, that at, at the very least, it's kind of frustrating that you, you have to adhere to um, that sort of uh, programming, and it's like cable essentially had you by the balls. Um, it, it's changing now. I, like, I love the Netflix streaming, and I can watch, you know, all these movies whenever the hell I want. And when I, if I don't want to finish the movie, it, it stops where I left it. Uh, it, it it's a, you know... Dave, you should be like, I know we keep saying this, you should be employed there. You need to get Dixie on the horn because I, I think that's, that's a, pretty, it's a pretty unique idea. And, and, and to me, it's something that, 
you know, might might be beneficial for, for something like TNA, especially, like I said, it being broadcast and then just being up there um, so people can check it out whenever they want. But there's no doubt about it. Like cable TV, you know, not to coin uh, an evolution term, but adapt or perish. Uh, cable TV is yeah. on its way out. They're either going to uh, have to significantly change the way they're doing things um, or more and more people are going to be moving to uh, the Roku's, the smart TVs, and just watching what they want to watch instead of being, uh, you know, victims of having to watch, having to order everything for a certain price. Um, you know, it's interesting as I go through the Roku, it's well, you know, I could get Netflix for like nine bucks a month. You know, I could pick the Amazon, and it's like all these things are around the same price. It's like so I can pick and choose what I want. Or I can be a victim of, of cable and have to get uh, a thousand channels uh, because of the three I want to watch. So um, it's an interesting point. I guess as I go through this, this whole rigmarole, it's a very good point, Dave. Well, thank you. I mean, it's not something that like I had thought of all day. I mean, it's just kind of like popped in my head as we were discussing this, and it, it it's very fitting, at least in thinking thinking about it, you know, more and more as the conversation goes on. I think it's very fitting for TNA. I'm not saying this is the absolute number one route they have to go, but I think in order to brand themselves as different as WWE as possible, and people of wrestling fans have complained, TNA is just copying WWE, and, and it's not, you know, they didn't like the product because they, they take WWE cast off and force them down our throats on our show, and they need to do something different than WWE to stand out. Well, now here's something that's different. Yeah, WWE has their own network, and they've got, you know, thousands upon thousands of hours of content. TNA, you can put them on Netflix, and they can take their library and add it to the Netflix family, and it would be something different for wrestling fans. It would be, you know, I'm sure that the, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure the sunrise, and, and, I'll, and I'll say this, and I'll probably get beheaded for this in public, with the running of the mocks, but I'm as sure as sunrise that most wrestling fans that watch TNA on Spike TV are not watching Cops or Bar Rescue or, you know, Dog the Bounty Hunter or any of those horseshit shows that are on Spike TV before or after Impact Wrestling. If you're a wrestling fan, I mean, yes, it's a guy show and it fits into that model, but I highly doubt that you can't wait to watch another episode of Cops or some other toothless prick getting arrested in Lafayette, Louisiana, after you watch Impact Wrestling. So I think it would be beneficial for TNA and for the wrestling fans and for cable TV subscribers who are wrestling fans to, to see TNA and Impact Wrestling on Netflix, and I think it would help them tremendously. And by the way, I'm tweeting Dixie that idea. We'll see what she says. Okay. Who knows? Maybe we'll get a job with TNA. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five is the number to call. What are your thoughts on all these things? We're going to get your calls a little bit later on. We got it is time now for our news break. Right after the news break, we got New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Famer Mario Mancini is on on the other side of the break. For now, it is time for the Day Five Fifty Fifty News Report. Thank you very much, Ken. This is the illustrious. Dave 5 News Report, only heard at the top of the hour every single Monday night here at the Ken Reedy Show. Our first story this week, he may not 
be the face of the WWE, but if bad luck had a face, former WWE World Heavyweight Champion Daniel Bryan would be it. As it's been reported last week that Bryan and wife of former WWE diva, that's if you still believe in kayfabe, Brie Bella, arrived to their home only to find two individuals leaving their house with cash and other miscellaneous items, including a gold bracelet given to Brian by his late father who passed away recently. As the man exited the home, Brian chased after one of the burglars and apprehended him with a rear naked choke, often used in mixed martial arts as well as pro wrestling. For five minutes until local Phoenix, Arizona police authorities arrived on the scene. The other burglar fled and has not been caught since. The suspect currently in custody is 22-year-old Caesar Sosa. That's a tongue twister. No relation to Sammy Sosa, although burglary is one thing that they have in common. Considering back in 1998, Sammy Sosa tried to steal the Major League Baseball single-season home run record while taking <laughs> performance-enhancing drugs. But enough about that unrelated topic. Caesar Sosa was charged with burglary and had a felony warrant for his arrest on prior burglary and kidnapping charges. On a final note, the other suspect still at large is not the Repo Man, who was played by Barry Darso in the early 1990s on WWF television. For weeks, I've reported here on the Day 5 News Report on several signings in World Wrestling Entertainment. One in particular that was made official today was Virgil Devitt, a.k.a. Prince Devitt from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Devitt, along with WWE, made the announcement today on social media. Devitt is expected to report to Orlando and the WWE Performance Center by the end of this summer. Here's an interesting story for you. Somewhat of a follow-up story that I reported here a few months back. Former WCW star and NWO member Marcus Buff Bagwell who was reported a few months back here for taking part in Showtime's Gigolo show, profiling male escorts, has been signed by adult film company Vivid to appear in future adult films. Vivid head honcho Steve Hirsch allegedly is also in negotiations to work out a deal to have Bagwell's wife, Judy, also participate in the films. If my memory serves me correct, wasn't Buff's mother's name Judy? And didn't WCW do a Judy Bagwell on a pole match in August of 2000? Kind of ironic, don't you think? <laughs> Jeff Jarrett and Global Force Wrestling announced this week a partnership with multiple promotions from overseas in Europe. These promotions include Revolution Pro Wrestling, south of England, New Generation Wrestling, north of England, Premier British Wrestling from Scotland, Westside Extreme Wrestling from Germany, and Emerald Wrestling Promotions from Ireland. It was reported that former TNA Tag Team Champion and X-Division Champ Doug Williams was very instrumental in brokering this partnership between these promotions and Global Force Wrestling. GFW has already announced partnership with Mexico's AAA promotion as well as New Japan Pro Wrestling. And our final story this week, we're talking about the possibility of wrestling companies ending a rumor has made the rounds recently that Sinclair Broadcasting, owner of Ring of Honor Wrestling, was looking to sell the company. News picked up steam last week when Jim Ross, WWE Hall of Famer, in his weekly blog speculated on the matter, despite clearly indicating that it was only a rumor. WrestleZone.com confirms reports that these rumors are not true, according to their sources within Ring of Honor. 
The Sinclair Group has owned Ring of Honor since 2011 and look to keep Ring of Honor as a part of their programming for the foreseeable future. And there you have it, folks. That was the Day 5 News Report. You can only hear the Day 5 News Report every single Monday night at the top of the hour right here on the Ken Reedy Show. Ken, back to you. Uh, you got to love Buff Bagwell. Keeps himself relevant. <laughs> oh, geez. Buff, buff, buff. I, I just find it interesting that he, he – I, I just find it interesting he's in porn – Okay, number one, that's already interesting enough. He's going to be in porn. His mother, who was in WCW storylines, is named Judy Bagwell. His wife is named Judy Bagwell. And at one point, they had a Judy Bagwell on a pole match, and now they're negotiating for Judy Bagwell to rock his pole in a vivid porn movie. It's just no good. I was going to say how the mighty has fallen. I don't know if like Buff would ever be considered mighty, but... He was entertaining there for a hot second. I kind of like Buff for a little bit there. Buff, Buff, Buff. What are we going to do? Oh, we digress. Anyway, uh, great news. Mixed bag there on the news. We're going to get to it right now because we're honored and privileged that we have brand new New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Famer. Mario Mancini is on the line. Mario, how are you doing this evening? Good, brother. How are you? Doing all right. Thanks for giving us a, a few minutes. Um, first off, got to ask, how did the Hall of Fame induction go? How was your weekend? Give us a little bit of what that was like. Well, listen, it, it, it was incredible. Um, you know, I have uh, both of my children. I have uh, graduating from law school, passing the parks, and right up there is getting inducted into the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Joe Bruin couldn't be uh, more gracious toward me, more kind. Um, I'm still kind of reeling from it. Um, you know, sometimes I just take a minute and think that I was inducted into a class, a Hall of Fame with Harley Race. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. We have Mario Mancini and Harley Race in the same class in the same breath is insane to me. So. Um, you know, I was inducted with uh, David Boyd Smith. Uh, his wife was there. Um, Fred Valentine. Um, you know, Jim Neidhart. Jose Luis Rivera. Um, and it was just incredible. It was it was an incredible weekend. I had a really good time. And um, I look forward to the Fan Fest next year. Uh, still waiting for Joe Bruin to... Um, Disclose the uh, the date and location, and I, I think he'll, he'll let go a couple of names that were independent wrestlers, but he didn't, he didn't let go um, an awful lot. So still waiting. I think the announcements are coming August first for next year's Hall of Fame, and I can't wait until uh, I can't wait until he releases those those names and the date and the time. And um, you know, he just. It's it's you know I was asked to go to, if if I wanted to go to one I kind of forgot where it was it's called the Legends of the Ring or something and you know, I think it was in Indiana and I'm like nah, you know for me it's so special that one time a year in Rhode Island um, I just I'm just gonna stick with Joe Bruin and in the uh, wrestling you know I got my plaque and. Um, it was just an incredible night. I, I had blast. I, I didn't see people for years, and the war stories. And the most impressive thing for me, really, 
was uh, sitting on a panel. There was a question and answer panel for an hour. And uh, for the fans, it's something special that they paid for. And um, it was me and Tito and Harley Race and Valentine. And I was just sitting up there next to Tito, and he Harley Race was next to him. And I just went – I just – sat there and stared and I just took a trip back to 1980 when I was 14 years old and that's when I decided I wanted to be a professional wrestler and um, you know sitting there on my 48th birthday was June 21st and I'm like wow wow (laughs) you know I had this dream you know 34 years ago and you know now I'm sitting up here on this panel and you know, answering these questions from these fans and getting ready to be inducted in the Hall of Fame, it was it was it was kind of a knockout for me. And, and again, I, I have Joe Bruin to thank, and and um, along with the other guys, like I, I gave credit in my speech to uh, uh, Mikey Canetta, Mister Mister Trivia. He really he really got he really got the ball rolling you know when he he contacted me and said will you do my show you know i said in my speech you know i i thanked him and and said i i thank him for you know taking mario mancini out of the attic he dusted me off he sat me in a chair and he said hey tell me some stories you know and it kind of all started from <laughs> it all started from there and then i did a show again with ox baker and you know, a couple other guys, and 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 um, then other talk shows wanted me, and I was kind of my blood started kind of flowing again, and and uh, then Joe Bruin called me, thanks to uh, uh, Mike the Fox Man of Itable, gave him my number, and and uh, and said, "Won't well, you know, call Mario?" And and um, that's how it all started. I, I just really, really thankful. Oh, it's amazing! And again, congratulations. I mean, the last time we were on, you were on the show. We we discussed and, and the guys you have been in in the ring with, uh, it, it really is a who's who, as far as uh, pro wrestling history. I mean, it, it's a pretty amazing career. The guys that you've actually been in the ring with, so a well deserved honor. Congratulations. Um, as we we move forward, you know, and great great ending the interview as as you teased us, uh, left us all in suspense. But last time you were on the show, uh, you said. You know, you, there's some heat there, uh, some conflict with one Pat Patterson, and you said the next time you're on the show, uh, you give us a story. And we, we love, I mean, part of doing the interviews, we love doing, uh, you know, getting info and, and breaking stories. But what we really enjoy is uh, getting those, those stories, those old school stories, what happened behind the scenes. Something went on with Pat Patterson. Could you give us the story? Well, i got to tell you, you know, when I broke in in '84, um, and and we're a couple of days away from my 30th my 30th year anniversary on July 31st, 1984. You know, I was in Poughkeepsie, New York, and and uh, that was the day I signed my contract and I broke in. And my first match was against you know Greg Valentine, who really got he didn't remember and he got such a kick um, out of hearing my story, um, and and he confirmed that the two things I said he he admitted. Those were his one-liners, um, and I was able—I was happy—I was able to make him laugh because uh, he really didn't think about even being there because he had lost his daughter um, three weeks prior to that. 
um, no details how she passed, but I think it was really brave of him to to be there three weeks after his daughter passed away, and he had mentioned that in his in his uh, Hall of Fame speech. Um, you know, I you know he the two lines that he used was I, I asked him if I can have a comeback, and he said, yeah, you know, after you submit to the figure four, you can get up off the canvas and come back to the dressing room. <laughs> and the the uh, second comment he made to me was, you know, it, the stiffer you keep your legs, the more you're going to hurt yourself. I'm not going to hurt you. You're going to hurt yourself. So kind of keep them like wet noodles and we'll be fine. And, and you know, Howard Finkel was the host of that question and answer session. And uh, and, and he said, well, Greg, do you remember? And he said, no, but he, he, he's definitely telling the truth because I would tell people, everyone, I put the figure four on the, that the stiffer they keep their legs, the more it's going to hurt them. And that was my famous line to that were putting me over, you know, on TV that, you know, they asked me for a comeback and that's exactly what I would say to him. So Mancini's got to be telling the truth. But was what was more gracious was he and Neidhart stating that, you know, there would be no over without guys like Mario Mancini and Jose Luis Rivera. That was very kind of them to say. But when I broke in in 84, George Scott was the booker. Now I can tell you this for sure. Absolute. This isn't just kind of, Assuming, I know this for sure, if George Scott, which was a hell of a guy, just a hell of a human being, if he stayed the booker, my career would have took a definite different path. Um, I would have been more than a jobber in, in, um, in, in the WWF. And, and I love Barry Horowitz to death. And um, I, I did this interview, it might have been your interview, where somebody asked me whether I want to be called a jobber or talent enhancement. And I, I just find talent enhancement to be so rude. It's like, you know, you're watching a Seinfeld episode, and, and there's a, they're in the diner, and there's the counter guy wiping down the counter in the back. You know, that's kind of an enhancement. And I, I considered myself more than that. So I, I don't mind the term jobber. However, I was sent an article that Barry Horowitz finds jobber offensive. Um, and he finds talent enhancement as a, as a compliment. But, um, you know, Horowitz was, was a complete gentleman in the dressing room. He was a great worker. And he was a great athlete. And I, I love him to death. Um, and so Pat, so George Scott was the booker, and um, I got a lot of bookings, a lot. And Terry Garvin was is, is on the right side of him. And let me clear something up about Terry Garvin. When I found out the story with with uh, Barry O and, and Terry Garvin, my jaw dropped. And I thought for sure that Barry O was lying. He was just lying because I was such a good friend with Terry Garvin. And he had a wife and he had kids. Not that that man, yeah, makes me naive at 19, 20 years old. But, you know, he was such a good friend of mine. And we'd sit together in the dressing room and we would rib each other and we would laugh. And, and we would tell stories. And he would tell me stories of the road and the old times. And, and he's the one. I mean, I can hear my mother like, uh, like it was yesterday. The phone rang. She'd pick it up and she'd go, "Len Terry Garvin's on the phone. Len Terry Garvin's on the phone. Terry, Gar Mario, we need you at the Philadelphia Spectrum. You know, Mario, we need you in Worcester. Mario, we need you in uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. You, you know, constantly, constantly. Kind of, if I didn't have a booking sheet, Garvin was my booking sheet. You know, and I'd walk into the dressing room, a TV, and have a big smile on his face, and go, "Mario, quesadilla." You know, you would, 
you know, he was just a tremendous individual, you know, a tremendous individual, and he liked me. And and I would get out of the ring and TV, and George Scott would look at me with those glasses, you know, and those eyes bugging out and go, you know, kid, 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 you, you work really hard in the ring. I like that. I like the kid. You work really hard in the ring. You know, good, good, good. You work really hard in the ring. Okay, this is going well. But then he was gone. And then Pat Patterson took over. And I couldn't understand why booking sheet wasn't as full as it, as it was, and I couldn't understand why my phone did My phone still rang quite often, but not as often as it used to for house shows. And, and that's just because of Terry Garvin. Terry Garvin was still there making sure, making sure I got work. But from what I saw, you know, Pat had his favorites, and one in particular – and, you know, at the at the Hall of Fame, Howard Finkel had to calm me down. I, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the guy that was with him there. Um, I, I, I think he was also from the WWE, uh, Howard's uh, uh, partner that runs the website. I really, I don't recall his name, but I shook the guy up a little bit and I felt bad. Because he's, uh, you know, I go, Howard, this is nice. I love this. This is quite an honor. But, you know, Howard... Eight months before WrestleMania one, Bundy's first match, Undertaker's first match, Bully Busick's for Bully Busick. We didn't even know each other there. Somebody screamed across the, the room. We were signing autographs in this big convention hall. And it's Mario Mancini, and his eyebrows came off his head. And he said, oh, my God, that's you? And I said, yeah, it was your first match. And we were, he just went ballistic. Uh, he took a picture of me. He was raising my hand. It was great. It was great. Um, but, you know, he he had – I said, Howard, it, you know, um, Johnny Rods is in, you know. Why can't Mario Mancini be there? And the guy that was with him said, well, I think you'd have Steve Lombardi in front of you. And I went into that guy's face with my teeth clenched. And I said, listen to me. Even the level I was at in the WWF, I was at that level for eight years. No one ever told me to go home. No one ever told me not to come back. That's because I had talent. I was a, not a good wrestler. I was a great wrestler. People couldn't see that on TV, but they saw it in the house shows. And I had talent. God gave me this talent. And I tried to make it honestly with that talent. And I didn't. But I would never compromise my morals as a man in order to get where I have to go. Ever. So maybe he'll make it into the Hall of Fame the same way. The way he got his torn sweatshirt and his cigar, maybe he'll get it the same way. Now, I was a very gifted wrestler. We were at the same level. He got the break. He didn't. And then I found out why. <laughs> because I took Strongbow aside, and I started arguing with Strongbow, saying... I'm twice the wrestler. I don't get it. I don't get it. 
you know, and he finally looked at me and said, Mancini, you want to do what he had to do to get his break? And I said, no, Chief, I'll keep losing. See, because Strongbow was my protector. He was my mentor. He was my second father. I love Joseph Scarpa. He was it for me, 28 years. We spoke up until three months before he died. He was it for me there. And if he had it his way, he would have made me the heavy champion of the world. But, you know, I started seeing people come in that had great bodies. Couldn't wrestle worth a lick. Why? Why? And then I found out why. And as one of my good friends said, that I will not say his name, because uh, I didn't talk to him prior to this interview to get his permission. And uh, he said, you know, Mancini, they don't, they don't want to do anything with you. They, you, you know, you just want to lay back and, and uh, play with it a little bit. And I said, yeah, <laughs> no. You know, and, and I understood that there were production meetings. This is, I found this out in the late 90s. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. It was from somebody who, who used to work in the office that, that lives in Connecticut, and he was privy to production meetings. And he said, your name would come up. And Vince would say, yeah, I like that. Let me, yeah, I want to think about that. That's good. That's, that's good. And Strongbow would be there and he'd go, definitely, you know, you know, he's paid his dues. And Patterson would say, no, no. Until the point where it was like 1990, 91. And I was so aggravated that I was in the New Haven Coliseum, and I said, screw this. I'm just going to confront them. Oh, Pat, can I talk to you for a minute? He said, yeah, yeah, what's up? I said, you know, I need a break here, man, you know. Been here six years, done everything everybody told me to do. I did three stretchers all before WrestleMania, the, literally the last TV taping people would see before WrestleMania. I said, uh, you know, I, I've gotten my nose broken in in, uh, in 84 by Schultz. And, and, and my first year, I went to TV taping in St. Louis. And, and, you know, I didn't fly. I drove 19 hours, you know. And, I, you know, I've been through the mill. And I'm 24 and I have, a, you know, I have a herniated disc in my neck already. You know, can, you know is there, and he gave me the standard answer. I like you. The office likes you. You know, just be patient. And he was walking, walked away from me down the hall, and I said, what's in my ass isn't cute enough for you? And he turned around and came charging at me and said, what did you say? What did you say? I said, I didn't say anything. He goes, no, no, what did you say? I said, I didn't say anything. He goes, no, I didn't think you said anything. I said, no, Pat, I didn't say nothing. You know, and wow. he is... It, you know, it makes me laugh. People start, my phone started going off like a slot machine, you know what I mean? Oh, Pat Patterson admitted that he, that he was gay. This is like last month. I'm like, what? Like, Pat Patterson admitted he was gay. I go, are you kidding me? I, I, it was 1988. I was in the Hartford Civic Center. I was standing next to this guy, and when I tell you, 
the nicest guy in the world, nicest guy in the world, complete gentleman, his etiquette was perfect. The psychology that he knew about professional wrestling was absolutely amazing. And I stood there with him for an hour because I was in a steel cage battle royal, elimination battle royal, and I was going against Ken Patera. And that's all they needed me for that night was that steel cage <laughs> battle royal where one the guy who won the previous one, a fresh guy goes in, and, you know, I was the fresh guy. And, of course, you know, Patera walked out of the cage and I went back to the dressing room. So I had time to talk to this guy. And what I learned from him was incredible, absolutely amazing. Um, and he said, Mario, it was a pleasure talking to you, really nice kid. And I said, gee, I really appreciate, you know, the talk. It was amazing. It was incredible. It was the first time in my life I've ever seen the guy. So he walks away, and SD comes out, who I was extremely close to. Thank God for S.D. Jones. He was the one that smartened me up in the business. I was getting pummeled, um, you know, being green. And um, he came out, and he looked at me and go, S.D., can I ask you a question? He goes, well, I go, who the hell was that? I don't even know who that was. He goes, that was Louie. That's Pat's wife. Wow. And, you know, Pat was there, and and I actually went up to him, and I said, Pat, I spoke talked to Louie for an hour. What in it? He's just incredible. He's just incredible. He said, you should see his garden and what he grows in there. And it's even more incredible. You see the vegetables he grows. And Pat Patterson comes out last month and says, he can't. <laughs> you know what? It was, it was hard to business. Um, there were some guys that, that got eliminated because they wouldn't play the game. Um, you know, there was some guy that came in as the new voice of the, the WWF. I forgot his name. But he, he was. He was a good – he had that deep voice. He had that Vince McMahon thing going on. I thought he was going to really prosper there. But I, I guess at one point, you know, Pat said, I wonder what you taste like. And he's like, I don't know, I'll do that. You know, and he was gone. Now, um, do I think Vince McMahon knew that Pat Patterson was gay? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I think Vince McMahon knew that Pat might have been torturing these people? No way. No. There's, I've seen Vince McMahon work. I've seen him work. And, and there's, there's a small possibility that maybe, you know, he, he knew, but a small possibility because that guy ran around like a chicken with his head cut off. Literally. I mean, he, he just didn't stop. He was, he was all about the production. You have to remember something. He leased out TV for the first few years. He, he had a TV, he had a TV company come in and do his filming and set up the cameras and everything like that. The, 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 the closed circuit TVs and the whole, the whole thing. And he'd always have a problem to the day until the day he exploded because he lost the monitor and they, they lost a couple of TV matches because of technical difficulties. He came into the dressing room, he took off flying fit, and in the next month he, he, he bought his own and he hired his own crew. 
and he had his own TV production, and he didn't lease out anymore. So that this guy was constantly, he was always constantly thinking about the next angles and 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 you know how to how to better things. And 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 the guys were always up his ass. I mean, the the, the top guys, you know, they you know, always in their dressing rooms. Like Hogan always had like a separate dressing room, and you know. So while he was sitting at his desk in the office, did he get a couple of phone calls and maybe that people were being harassed? I don't know. But I can tell you this for sure. There is no way Vince McMahon knew the level or the severity of it. There's just no, there's just no way. You're talking about a guy. You're talking about high school here. And I'm telling you because I was there. I was there. I'm talking about grown men that could rip Vince McMahon apart in so many different pieces that when an hour of TV taping was over, if somebody wasn't aware or conscious of it, another guy would look and go, you better put that cigarette out. Because Vince was coming in the dressing room between tapes, and if he saw anybody smoking, he would take a fit, an absolute fit. So you have to hear these grown men, these, these tough guys, and they're all running to the bathroom throwing their cigarettes away because they know Vince is coming down to the dressing room, you know. So you know, he he definitely he definitely you know was was at a, a high pace there. I don't I, I'm not sure he knew the severity of it, but you know if George <laughs> Scott stayed the Booker, then Mario Mancini really would have had a, a different. And you you don't forget it was George Scott. It was George Scott brought in Savage. It was George Scott brought in JYD. You know, it was George Scott that brought these guys, brought in Bundy. It was George Scott that brought these guys in. You know, and from the, from the other tier, it was George Scott that brought in Steamboat. You know, so, you know, George Scott coming from North Carolina brought in all these guys. You know, and do I give Pat Patterson credit? Yeah, of course I give Pat Patterson credit. You know, he has a, a, a master wrestling mind. His his angles and, and the way he ran things, and, you know, it made pro, pro wrestling explode with Vince McMahon's help, of course, and approval. You know, is Pat Patterson a, a wrestling genius? Yeah, yeah, he is, you know, but... You know, that doesn't take away the fact that, that, you know, there were guys that worked really hard and they were really good wrestlers, you know, and but for, you know, the fact that that, that was in the way, they, they could have went somewhere, you know. And, and like I said, thank, thank God for Garvin. Thank God for him. You know, I remember when this Ring Boy stuff went down in 88, 89, you know, Patterson had to take a powder. So the Garvin. You know, and Strongbow called me up, and he said, uh, he asked me to be the booker. And I said, oh, my, I was screaming on the top of my lungs. I'm like, oh, my God, Chief, take it, take it. He goes, I don't want to take it. It's too much stress. It's way too much stress. I go, Chief, take it. And I'm screaming at him on the top of my lungs, take it, take it. And he said, why the hell you want me to take it? You want me to take it because you want to get over. And I said, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And he got really hot at me because um, I wasn't considering his stress. I was considering myself going over. 
But, you know, even back then when they said Pat Patterson was suspended from the WWF for the allegations and everything, never, 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 never. He he, he ran that gig. And you know what? God bless him because typically – and you, and you guys are very knowledgeable of the wrestling business and the history of the wrestling business. Historically, you know, bookers don't last that long. They're in and out a lot. A lot. They get fired. New ones get hired. That one gets fired. New one comes in. Bookers really, really don't have a long lifespan. This son of a bitch held on forever. Ever. Forever. I, I waited till the day. I tried to outlast them. I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I just got so frustrated by 92. And I wasn't putting anybody's asses in seats. They didn't give a damn if Mario Mancini left. They could care less. Plus, they, you know what? By, by 93, 94, they, they were phasing out jobbers. There are no more jobbers. There's no more. They're gone. So, you know, um, it would have went a lot differently. You know, I, I was, you know, one guy that I really loved was, uh, was Julian Morella. I mean, that kid, he was unbelievable. He really was. He really was. He was a good referee and he was a good kid. You know, I'd bring my glove to the arena sometimes cause he was a triple A pitcher and, and, uh, I used to be a catcher, of course, not on that level. Um, and you know we we played catch behind the ring truck, you know, in the in the parking lot during the summer. And he was just a good friend, and and um, you know he 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 used to do comedy skits about about all these guys. He, he'd have us Roma and I would be sitting there with tears coming down our eyes. You know, he was so funny. But everybody knew every everybody knew, and and you know. That's why Finkel had to calm me down at the, at, in the hallway before we were announced for the fan base. He goes, Mario, calm down, calm down. I go, Howard, I'm telling you right now, if that son of a bitch ever makes it, if he's announced that he's going into the WWE Hall of Fame, I said, I'm, I will, I'm, I'll be at the front door of that office the next day. The next day, I'll be knocking on the door to, to be let in. I said, I'll be a son of a bitch, boy. You know, um, and, 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 you know, I, I was talking to another wrestler about it, um, that well, the only thing I'll say, if you want to look at my Facebook or, uh, John Zimmerman's Facebook from, um, from the squared circle I, the, where I was sitting on the panel, there was a young man, I say young man, nice kid. What a great kid. Jeez. Sitting to the right of me. And we were discussing, um, we were discussing things, and 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 we were discussing Lombardi, and and he's like, well, he was an agent, you know, and I'm like, you know, you walk into the dressing room as an, as an agent, and how do the boys, how do the boys look at you, how do the boys listen to you, how do the boys take your direction, how, you know, you have guys there that have made it on their raw talent, on their raw talent. You have guys that we have Daniel Bryant there, and you 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 have you know third generation wrestlers there, and and you know you're there in the dressing room to run the dressing room, and you know how can you look them in the face? And you know 
every night I go to bed, I go to bed with a clear head, man, because, it, you know, if I did that to, to, to forward my career in the wrestling business and now I'm out of the wrestling business and, you know, I go to college and I go to law school and I pass the bar exam and, you know, I got a wife and these kids, uh, you know, well, I've had three wives, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it, regardless, you know, um, you know, you sit there and look at your kids and then all of a sudden you got that memory, you know, it would just hard, be hard for me to live with myself. You know what I mean? It would just be really hard to live with myself. And, and, um, you know, it's just, it, it's just a shame. I would have liked to see how the business would have went with, with, with just being, it being straight and narrow, you know? Mario, I got a question for you. Um, yeah. After, after the stories that you, you know, told us about your, your, your history with WWF, your dealings with Pat Patterson, and you, you alluded to the, the allegations with the ring boys and the few, the, the few things that have gone on, the allegations of Pat Patterson's involvement in some of those cases. Just hypothetically speaking, just a guess, what's your take on it briefly? Do you think Patterson was really involved in some of those situations before? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, listen, you have to really close your eyes and you really have to put yourself in everybody's shoes except the top guys. You know, and Strongbow used to hang up, hold up his hand to me. And he said, kid, I can count on one hand the people that make money in this business. And I used to grab his finger, one of his fingers, and say, chief, save this one for me. And he used to just shake and walk away from me. So you got the guys like Hogan and Savage, and you got the Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation. You know, you, you got you got Kurt Henning and Hercules Hernandez and Bundy and Stud and Snuka and Morocco and the Samoans. And you couldn't, couldn't touch those guys. Couldn't touch those guys. They were under contract, however... However, this is where you got to close your eyes and imagine. They were on the contract. However, that's not a guaranteed contract. If you didn't work, you didn't get paid. You didn't work, you did not get paid. When Henning broke his neck, he was one of the few guys that had insurance at Lloyd's of London, and they paid him 5000 a week while he was out. You didn't work, you didn't get paid. So now you've got the guys in the middle. You guys got like Iron Mike Sharp and SD Jones and guys like that. Guys like Danny Davis, Lombardi, myself. Guys, guys like that work. They might work. They might not work. They don't. They don't I mean, listen, I remember Ray. God rest in me. Me rest in peace. Another great close friend of mine, Ray Hernandez. They were having a friendly argument in the dressing room, and he said, "And they said, ah, get your ten thousand dollar paycheck and just shut up." And Ray goes, "That's not true. I never made a nickel over seven thousand since I've been here a week, right? So we didn't make, we didn't make that money. 
Now, picture how much we really wanted to be on the road 260 days a year, 275 days a year. Then you have the ring guys that are even lower than that, that are trying to survive having that kind of job in the business, you know, in a business where there's no guarantees. Oh, there's guarantees today, no problem. They're like Major League Baseball contracts today. I applaud them. Good for them. Not back then. And you have the stress of keeping a job, and you have somebody threaten that, that job security. You know, there was another person involved with that, only, and I won't mention his name, and again, another jaw dropper. I was really good friends with this guy. <laughs> It was amazing. I won't mention his name. But his gig were, were kids. You know, you want to meet Hulk Hogan. You want tickets to the show. You want, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah. You know, in a, a way to to uh, lure a kid, a minor, you know, you want, that's a huge wrestling fan. You you want to meet Hulk Hogan. You, you know, you want tickets to the show. You want free T-shirts. You know, they start going. They, their eyes start gazing, you know, it's the same thing in reverse when, you know, you want to keep your job, you know, how many women experience that to this day, you know, how many women go through that every day of their lives, you know, getting used like that, you know, you want to raise, you want to keep your job, you know, get under the desk, you know what I mean, thousands of them every day, only this, these are dudes, you know what I mean? So, it, it, yeah, man, listen, I have um, I, I have a couple. I'm, I'm opening up a wrestling school with Roma and uh, Big Steve Tracy, who used to go under the name of Dave Paradise when he wrestled. And, and you know, I have a couple of people in line, one of which is a, a really great talent. And, it, and it's a female. And I, you know what? I sent her the YouTube stories. I sent her the re- YouTube story about Rita Marie. Rita Marie was a referee in, my, in our wrestling school. When myself, A.J. Petrucci, who, you know, he's the super destroyers of the ECW, you know, he, we were the original class, Seth Cohen, Dave Barbie, us four in 1983. And then she came in about 85 to learn how to referee and I sat down with her and I said listen to me do you know where professional wrestling started and she said no I said it started in the late 1800s in a carnival it's a carnival it's still a carnival and it's a really whore business and you have to be careful being a female because that once they get you they're going to dump you and they got her and they dumped her she didn't listen to me. You know, so do I believe that? Yeah, I believe that. You know, it, 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 as you tell the stories, you know, and it, it, I mean, wrestling, you know, it, it's such a fascinating business because you see it and it's great and there's, there's a great side of it. And then there's, as you're speaking of tonight, like a, a seedy underbelly. Um, and it, it's a really interesting business, like, you know, evolving from the carnival lifestyle. I'm curious, as you, you know, you teach up-and-coming 
wrestlers and as they get into the business, and look, a lot of guys want to get into the business, and they quite possibly very naive as to what this business is all about. For someone who is starting, what would be the most important lesson or information that you would want to convey to someone entering the business? Well, you know, that reminds me of a story when Joe Girardi was the manager of the Yankees. He was the manager of the Cubs. And upper management would talk to Girardi, make recommendations. And Girardi would go, well, the Yankees don't do it that way. And they would say something else, and he'd go, yeah, well, I learned differently. In New York, the Yankees don't do it that way. You know, and and they're like, it's not the Yankees. It's the Chicago, Chicago Cubs. You know, the WWE, they're the New York Yankees. Okay, and, you know, when you say the word evolve, the first thing that came to my mind was a letter I got in the mail from Vince McMahon. And it said, effective immediately, all wrestlers are to wear blazers to the arenas. If you don't wear blazers to the arenas, you'll be fined $100. And his last sentence said, if the NFL can do it, so can we. Vince McMahon obviously is the evolution of this business. And he started with that. When the Sheik and Hacksaw Jim Duggan got busted in the same car with weed and cocaine, um, wrestling was a juggernaut. And when TV came up, when we all when we all scattered from our house shows and shown up at TV, we were all handed a letter um, as we walked in. There was somebody standing by the entrance of the dress room. Everybody got a letter when we came in. And it said, upstairs in the dining hall of the arena is a meeting at 6.30. So we all went up there, and we were Everyone was there. And Vince McMahon walked in, took his blazer off and slammed it on the ground and started screaming. They're all waiting for us to screw up. They're waiting. They're watching. We're hot. And we did. And he was pissed. And that's when drug testing started. Because he didn't want that anymore. So we got blazers and we got drug testing. I have a feeling that although I haven't been there in 22 years in that dressing room, I got a feeling that it's a lot different now. And I have a feeling that it did evolve. And I have a feeling that that underbelly doesn't exist anymore. And I got a feeling that it's very corporate. And, um, you know, Vince McMahon evolved the business. But what I would always do and, and this is the thing, I guess, you know, they're going to know the WWE way because that's where I come from. That's where Roma comes from, regardless of him going to the WCW. And that's where Dave Paradise comes from. So it's all going to be WWE. And the, the most important thing that I say, the utmost important thing, 
is when you walk into that ring and you look across at your opponent, you know what your opponent is saying to you? And 99.9% of them always shake their head. I have no idea. They're saying, I trust you with my body. I trust you with my health, and I trust you with my body. Please take care of it. And that's what you have to do. That is the most important thing in that ring, is that you take care of the other person and make sure everything is okay. The World Wrestling Federation was, when it came to in the ring, in in the dressing room, was impeccable. And the level of professionalism, you know, I I was talking to Orndorff once, myself, Paul Roma, and and Orndorff, we went to this, this match, and it was called A Wonderful Reunion. And all three of us went in the ring and, uh, and took a bow. And before that, I was back there talking to Paul or North. I said, Paul, you miss it? He goes, I miss the NFL, man. That's what I miss. And I said, no, man, I really miss it. I miss it like crazy, you know. I miss the business. And um, he's like, yeah. And we started naming some guys, you know. And I said, well, I never really liked him. You know, I, I really didn't care for him. And he's like, why? I go, well, he covered me and he didn't say thank you. You know, and and I take great offense to people that covered me and didn't say thank you. Yeah, I took great offense to that. I, if I had to work with them again, I'd sell a little less. So Ordenorf was tipped, tipped back in his chair and he just, you know, sat forward right away and he said, I always thank you. I said, Paul, I wasn't talking about you. Because Paul Ordenorf, when he covered you, he said, thank you, baby, automatically. Paul Ordorf would be waiting for you behind the blue curtain. He wouldn't go back to the dressing room. He'd wait for you to get there. And finally, you'd come through the blue curtain, and he'd hug you and say, thank you, baby. And then after he got out of the shower, before he left for the night, he came back up to you and said, thanks again, baby. I appreciate it. And you know, most of the guys did that. You know, most of the guys did that. It, it was very, um, it was very professional, right? and, and I was very fortunate to be there when I was. And you know, down to the to the, the smallest detail, my Hall of Fame speech. You know, Finkel standing behind me, and I just looked over at him, and it just hit me. I had no speech prepared. I knew for a year I didn't prepare a speech, and I just looked over at him, and I just said, "Jeez." I am so fortunate that I was in the wrestling business when I was because I got to be announced by the greatest announcer in wrestling history. And he doesn't do it anymore. So, you know, when I looked at him and I thought about that, I just blurted it out because it's true. You know, it's true. You know, so that is the most important thing, man, because if it's all about you and all about your high spots, and all about you getting over, you know, in your ego, you know, you might do something to hurt that other guy. What are you going to do? Oh, gee, sorry. You know, slips happen, but somebody can really get hurt. Somebody can end up in a wheelchair. You know, it, it is a very, a very serious business. You know, I, I went to go uh, 
I went to go look at space. Unfortunately, the ceilings were too low. I went to go look at space for a wrestling school, and, and I'm walking out with the the landlord, um, and he's like, "Geez, and all that stuff fake." I said, "Yeah, you tell the torn you could tell the torn medial meniscus in my left knee." The doctor who told me I needed a complete left shoulder replacement, the two herniated discs in my neck, and the one in my lumbar spine. Just how fake it is, you know. So, you know, and and the herniated discs in my neck are from the sheik. Well, God love him. He he just got me the back suplex and he tipped my ass a little too high, way too high. Where I hyperextended my neck instead of landing on my shoulder blades. He just kept tipping me. So. Um, you know, you have to take care of that other person in the ring. You know, there are so many things. You, you, you guys have no idea what a real professional walks into that dressing room with, what you have to have with you. <laughs> a real professional, an honest-to-goodness professional WWF wrestler, you in that bag, you have Neosporin, Bacitracin, you have gauze. You have an ace bandage. You have eye wash. You have alcohol. You have peroxide. You you have chocolate spray. You have powder. You have Vaseline. Deodorant, obviously. Soap, obviously. A small mm-hmm. pair of scissors. I mean, you you have you you probably have a pharmacy in there because you just never know what you're going to need. Ninety-five percent of the wrestlers that walk into the dressing room, they don't have that. That's what I'll teach those students too. You know, because you know, you take a bump on that on that canvas, and you go, and you go, uh oh, who's going to get staph infection? Who's going to get sick? What do I teach them? You get in that ring, you don't smile and just jog around waiting until your, your, your name to get announced. You go to all four corners and make sure that that corner ring post is screwed in far. Because if it's on a couple of threads and you hit, hit the turnbuckle, the ring's going to collapse. Well, how do you know that, Mario? Because it happened to me. You, if you're going to do any rope work, you better tug on the top rope. If it's not tight enough, you better get a ring guy over there, to, you know, to screw it a couple times. If you're going to do some, some rope work, you walk around that, that ring, and all of a sudden your foot dips into the canvas, you look over at the referee, and you go, hey, go tell him to look where I'm standing. No bumps here tonight. Not here. Not in this particular spot of the ring. No. There's so much you need to know. Before a match even starts, there's so much you got to know. So, you know, that, that's, that's what I tell them. And, and uh, you know, we go from there. It's, it's, it's got to be professional. And, you know, I, I was even thinking of calling it old school pro wrestling because that's what it's going to be. You know, there's other wrestling schools around here, and they're like, oh, man, you know, another wrestling school, blah, blah, blah. Compet- it's not competition because all these wrestling schools teach a thousand and one high spots because that's all pro wrestling is today just a bunch of high spots i will be teaching no similar to you know bret hart greg valentine style of wrestling that's it if you're going to come to me you're going to learn like the 80s because that's what i know that's who i am 
nobody's going to do be doing, you know, I don't even know what the moves are today. I, I have no idea. I don't watch it. So I don't I have, I have no clue. So um, I don't know. It all looks like Mexican-style wrestling these days. I have no idea. You know, great, Sal. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And, you know, once you get the school up and running, we'd love to have you back on, uh, talk a little bit more about training and your, your training method. But thank you so much. Uh, great stories. Again, congratulations on your Hall of Fame induction. Well-deserved. And uh, thanks for spending some time with us, and we'd love to have you back on in the future. Absolutely. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Sal. Really appreciate it, Mario. Have a great night. Okay, brother. Take care, and there you have it, Mario Mancini. Wow, some uh, some controversial stuff out there. I mean, stuff that we had heard before, but a, a personal take on uh, some of, I guess, the, the sexual harassment going on behind the scenes in the WWE, uh, going back uh, late 70s, early 80s, up through the early 90s. Uh, interesting stuff. And now opening a wrestling school and going into a uh, – going to be teaching some old school style. So uh, lots, of, lots of interesting stuff from Mario tonight, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, it's been uh, stuff that's been talked about, uh, you know, behind the scenes regarding uh, allegations of sexual assault, um, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s in WWF at the time with uh, uh, Terry Garvin and uh, Pat Patterson and other individuals that were involved in it, allegedly, you know, with all due respect to the the accused. Um, But it was very interesting to hear a a wrestler's personal take on, on our show. I, 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 I watched an old episode of, I know I'm dating myself, Phil Donahue's show, where he had Vince McMahon on the show back in, I believe, 91 or 92, when some of those allegations were coming to the forefront, with Bruno Sammartino on, with superstar Billy Graham. He mentioned uh, a guy named Barry L., who was actually Bob Orton's, I think, brother. I think Cowboy Bob Orton's brother or, or cousin or somebody um, was on the show talking about it. But to hear it up close and personal was, uh, was very interesting from, from Mario. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of cool that he wants to bring an 80s style of wrestling back to, to, to the business nowadays as opposed to what he refers to as high spots. And like I said on the show last time he was on, um, I mean, wrestling so fast-paced now in television, everything is, you know, boom, 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 quick, that I don't think guys have time to really tell a story in a three-minute match when, your entrance is at least a minute and a half of that three-minute match. So um, it'll be interesting to see what he what he produces out of his wrestling school. The interesting thing is is that style. At least it'll it'll give you a little bit more longevity. I mean, a lot of what I see on the indie scene, these guys, you know, they they do they go after these high spots, and you know, the life. Yeah, exactly. And and wrestling, you know, at least trying that style. We're telling a story. Uh, working a body part, uh, you know, things like that uh, will give you a little bit more longevity uh, in, in the sport as opposed to, you know, trying to jump off a, a ladder through 17 tables. Uh, you know, that, that lifestyle is not going to last really long. Got to give it up. You, you know, know it's interesting you bring that up. What was that? It's, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. I saw a video on, on Facebook that's uh, one rest, some wrestling page actually – uh, the center ring, the fog man, who, uh, who was mentioned earlier by Mancini, he posted it. A kid, there was some indie show. It looked like it was in somebody's backyard, but here's 60 people with a real ring. Um, this guy jumped off the top of a house or a shed. I don't know what it was, but he did the Canadian Destroyer 
a move that P.G. Williams does, that flip pile driver off the top of this roof through like five or six tables. And I, I, and they walked away from it. I couldn't believe that they walked away from it. It's funny, I saw that too, but how many times are you going to walk away from that? Yeah, exactly. You may be lucky to walk away from it once. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to talk to him once he gets the school up and running. You guys that called us tonight, thank you so much for your support and calling in. Unfortunately, uh, all the stories Mario was giving us, uh, we, we had to let him go. So we'll, we'll be sure to get to your calls next week. We're, geez, we're a minute 30 from the end of the show. Amazingly enough, we started with TNA. We, we got into the news, and, and Mario, we, we didn't talk any WWE tonight. Raw was interesting last week as we get into the SummerSlam season. Obviously, we're going to look at more development in this John Cena versus Brock Lesnar main event at SummerSlam. But right now, SummerSlam is kind of shaping up. Quickly, what do you think we're going to see on Raw tonight, Dave? The uh, development of Roman Reigns in a Randy Orton program, the fallout from Stephanie McMahon's arrest, I'm sure, uh, the Bray Wyatt-Chris Jericho situation, more from Cena and Lesnar. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Daniel Bryan appearance somehow involved in the Stephanie McMahon storyline. But all signs are pointing towards pushing towards SummerSlam and uh, the second biggest show of, of the year for WWE. And I got to hand it to her. You know, Stephanie... You are Vince's daughter. I just, I love the bit with her uh, getting arrested. I, I thought it was classic McMahon. Um, I, I just thought it was great. And, and you know, it's right now, amazingly enough, kind of uh, into the ladies a little bit. Uh, some substantial storylines with the ladies. Paige and AJ, we'll probably see some development there. So it's time, guys. Again, we will get your calls next week. Bring it next week. Apologies, but thank you for all the support. Thank you. Special thanks to Matt. And for joining us and giving us some great stories. It is time for Monday Night Raw. For Dave, I am Ken. See you next week. Have a great night, everybody.